Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Welcome back to Podsite, everyone. This is, of course, Carlo, and today I am joined by none other than the man with the plan, the man from Mars, the conqueror of Mars, <laughs> Kurt Schiller, <laughs> Captain Extraordinaire. Hello, space fans. We're blasting <laughs> off to adventure. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Hello, aficionados. Uh, you know. <laughs> Could you imagine, like, oh, oh, that'd be cool, uh, like a, a weird space captain, and he's, you know, with San, his Sancho Panza character, you know? <laughs> that would be great. I, I bet that somebody did some kind of- A space of, Quixote. Uh, yeah, a space Quixote. There, there must be at least a dozen space Quixotes. If not, there's, there should be, because that's a, that's a great, that's a great idea. I, I, I've been thinking about that, and- um uh, like doing like the, uh, the, I, I, I don't, you, you'd mentioned, uh, Arturo Perez Reverte. I think, am I, I always get him confused. I'm not sure if he wrote, he was like a big deal writer. Uh, I, and, but I don't know if he wrote like what became the ninth gate. Yes. The club, the club Dumas. Club Dumas. Yes. Okay. Which is, which is, it's uh, the novel is, is very good and it's both more and less, supernatural than the movie the movie kind of gets to the supernatural stuff quicker and mm -hmm. the, the novel is much more concerned with like antiquarian books and spends a lot more time as almost like a research neo-noir um before it it kind of starts drifting more into the supernatural uh, but <laughs> but great great book though i know i know i mentioned it in the um in the new year's uh episode but it's it's fun it's it's got mm -hmm. one of my favorite moments in it and I, i'm sorry this is so off off track but it's not a book that we would normally cover in pod side so I'll, I'll just throw this out there but there's a great moment where uh the, the the protagonist has been being pursued by um a man dressed as uh god i forget his name but like one of so like a, a lot of the novel is concerned with like riffs on the three musketeers mm -hmm. um and he's been being pursued by a man dressed as like the villain from the three musketeers whose name oh, cool. escapes me um and and he keeps seeing him popping up and he's been stalking him and he finally corners him in a castle and the protagonist just hauls off and hits the guy in the face and the guy's like ow what the fuck is wrong with you i'm an actor man what's they, they like they hired me to do this like i thought this was just part of a prank so anyway amazing Good anyway uh, we are we are actually here because we're not we, talking about that no 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 uh, but but I, I, you know what i'll say that uh we, we were sort of like uh thinking about pulpiness and uh e even sort of like uh 
modern versions of uh, of that, you know, the more literary in in the case of like something like Club Dumas or whatever. But um, so we're going to be talking about uh, the Enchantress of Venus, which uh, was you said it was pu- published in uh, Planetary Stories, Planet Stories in Planet 1949. Stories. And there there's an interesting bit of history about that magazine too that we can talk about, but. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you know, Lee Brackett, uh, uh, she, she, um, <laughs> well, what is the name of her, uh, noir novel? Is it No Good from a Corpse or something? No like Good that? from a Corpse, yeah, which I haven't read, but that is such a good, that <laughs> is such a, such a title. good title. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, just like, yeah, you know, dead bodies, you don't want it. <laughs> 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 I love it. Um, so, so uh, as I understand it, uh, Enchantress Venus is uh, one of several stories that uh, she wrote uh, in the, uh, was it Eric James Stark? Eric John the, uh, Stark. Yes, Eric John, John Stark. Stark. Um, a series of novel uh, novels, uh, stories, whatever, uh, where where I think you would you would um you would coin him as sort of like imagine Conan the Barbarian, but like with planetary romance yeah uh, flourishes. It's kinda, yeah, it's kinda like it's it's kind of like a lot of Conan, um a lot of a lot of John Carter of Mars from like mm-hmm. the what what are those the the Barsoom stories? Mm-hmm. Is that what they're what the, the I believe so, yeah. Um or or no, I guess it's on Mars, isn't it? <laughs> Duh. Well, no, isn't isn't Barsoom the name? Oh, that's one that's, of the that's one what of the they tribes call of it. Mars. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. You you are correct. Um, and then curiously, I would say he's got a little bit of uh, Philip Marlowe mm-hmm. in him too, and maybe even like a like a a Susan of John Wayne. <laughs> well, I mean, so so, uh, you know. Uh, Brackett. And some Tarzan too, and some Tarzan. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Tarzan. I mean, I, I think Burroughs. You know, whenever whenever you borrow from Burroughs, um, <laughs> uh, you're you're going to get some of that weird. Um, I mean, Tarzan's a great concept. Uh, in, in you know, like, but if you look at it right now, you go like, hell. I mean, he could have been raised by like other people too i don't know yeah <laughs> and, and it, it starts you know it, it, you start to see some of the um the the assumptions that aren't so great uh you know sort of like threaded through mm-hmm. um i i do think however that uh bracket attempts to through almost like like you you mentioned sort of like almost like this noir sensibilities um that are sort of like just just dashes of them throughout the this story i i got the feeling that stark manages to sort of almost sidestep almost all the problems that bros uh would bring to the table i think yes and no i think um for the time period uh certainly very progressive i would say in terms of their uh, approach to let less so racial politics, but m- much more so like imperial politics. Let's mm-hmm. say, um, but so so Eric John Stark, a quick a quick character biography, and the, the these are that quality of pulp stories where I read these completely out of order, and it didn't really matter at all. I have to say, this is like the second I think of the three initial Eric John Stark stories. And then she returned to them later and wrote like three or four 
more um that i haven't read yet that i think she mm-hmm. wrote in like the late 60s maybe or early early 70s 70. she, she came back to him in the 70s if i, if I was reading correctly yeah that there's like the the hounds of scald or skate or something like that um i haven't i haven't read them yet i've heard that they're that they're good but so eric john stark um it was was born to two uh humans who worked for a mining company that was doing mineral extraction on the planet mercury um and his parents were killed in an accident and he was adopted by mercurian basically aliens like indigenous aliens which is a funny that's a that's a funny phrase isn't it um <laughs> who you know you know the the native people of mercury so like like literal aliens um mm-hmm. and uh they they raise him uh as one of their own um they give him a a mercurian name which i must say is is a a very stereotypical kind of like kind of like like African sounding name. I think mm-hmm. it's a Nachaka. Nachaka. Well, I mean, uh, immediately my, my brain, uh, because it's poisoned by now, <laughs> um, went to, Oh, so he's like, he's like Tachaka's yeah. brother or something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like the black Panthers, uh, great uncle. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so what, what ultimately happens is um, his his adopted tribe, I, I guess you'd call them, get wiped out by other human uh, mining companies. Um, and this and he is rescued by, uh, I think, like a police officer um, who kind of like adopts him and tries to socialize him back into human society. Uh, and and Stark kind of runs away. Uh, and says, "Fuck this! Fuck human society! I'm going to fight on the side of the native peoples of all these other planets that that Earth is, you know, trying to kill or displace." Um, and he and- basically winds up traveling around, fighting, you know, colonial Earth uh, forces. And, and to be clear, like, um, uh, th- this is very much like a planetary romance solar system. Uh, yes, you know, like- yeah, yeah. It's 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 funny because so um, there was a. <sighs> And for anyone who's not familiar with planetary romance, the 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 broad idea is it's kind of sword and sorcery in in space, but mm-hmm. typically on recognizable planets like in our solar system. And the assumption is basically kind of it, it's very Star Warsy, um, or I should say, Star Wars is very planetary romancy is probably the right way to put it. Where you know. Uh, Mercury is a jungle planet and, you know, Mars is a desert planet and Jupiter is this and this is that. Um, and this was popular. And, and, you know, and, and Venus is like a swamp planet. Exactly. Or, yeah. Know. And all, each each planet is like a particular thing, you know, and they're like they're just like different versions of Earth. Um, and uh, it, it was popular, especially from like the 20s to the 40s. Um, mm-hmm. And then curiously. Uh, when we actually started doing like close flybys of these other planets and we realized that they weren't like that, um, the the market for planetary romance just collapsed overnight and everyone was like very embarrassed and was like, I can't believe I thought that because like people, you know, like it, I don't know that scientists thought this, but in the popular imagination, it was very typical to be like, oh, yeah, like there could be jungles on on Venus. It's close to the sun. It's hot. there, You know, it's hot there. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and and yeah, so it's 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 like that, and with like a bit of like ancient lost civilizations, and and kind of like uh, you know varied degrees of Orientalism, but instead of like Earth Orientalism, it's like space Orientalism, you know, where it's like <laughs> mysterious Martian, you know, 
ruins instead of mysterious, you know, African ruins or whatever. Well, what, or, one or of, like what have one you. of uh, Brackett's stories uh, set in, you know, in the in, in a similar setting is something like uh, what is it the the Martian princesses catacombs or something like that. Like that's yeah, that's yeah, like, yeah. Queen of like, the Martian catacombs. I think th- there it is. It is yeah. There it is. Yes. Uh, and, and and honestly, like that sounds like a fucking D and D adventure name. Yes. And and it very much is, but what's funny about that one, so that's that's the first Eric John Stark story, is it very much reads much more like a Western. Hmm, interesting. Um, with like bits of of Conan. And I would say mm-hmm. this one reads maybe a bit more like a noir with bits of Conan. Like like yes. Conan and yes. Tarzan wandered into like like a like a dirty LA noir. Uh and then the third one, um, Black Amazon of Mars, uh is uh kind of is very Conan, is is just like straight up like what if Conan on Mars? <laughs> what if Conan was had had uh, gleaming blue eyes? You know. Yeah. Now, now here's here's a complication, and and I want to be very specific about this because it is occasionally misunderstood or 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 misconstrued. Um, a, a plot point for these stories is that Eric John Stark has a, a skin that is almost black, but he he is he is Caucasian, but growing up on mercury basically gave him a permanent super dark tan and this is this is how the stories explain it um so like i want to be like very clear these these are not like like good representation in early pulp he's explicitly like a white guy who has very dark skin which i know is like a very conf- it's 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 very confused in a lot of ways and like i i, I don't know how to take that now um and like I can't even begin to untangle what the implications of it were uh, at the time, but su- suffice to say, it is it is not good. It is not like shockingly good representation. It's actually p- possibly like be- so shockingly bad representation. Um, well, I mean, but yeah, it, it doesn't come up a whole lot. It, it is, however, a very funny idea to have about <laughs> like how suntans were. <laughs> That well, you know, let let let's be honest here. Uh, you know, revisited by the 1986 classic Soul Man, featuring C. <laughs> Thomas Howell. Jesus Christ! <laughs> Dude, I mean, like he, that that entire thing was that he took like some some tanning pills and it. It turned him. It gave him super melanin. So. Oh, dude, there is there is a nonfiction book. Um, uh, what the hell is it called? Um, is it called Black Like Me? I want to say. It sounds, um, that sounds familiar. Yeah. Yes, it is a non. So it's a 1961 nonfiction book. Th- this sounds absolutely insane. Uh, when, like to to know that this exists and is real. I, I I guarantee you, I have read this book. I'm not making it up. It's very sincere and earnest. Like it's written as like a progressive expose at the time. I think it's from like the early yeah from the early 60s, and it was a white journalist who took basically skin darkening pills, um, and then went and traveled around the deep south. And was like, wow, people really are racist to you. But if you see a picture of him, like he really doesn't look like a black guy. Like he he looks he looks like like a white guy with like like a weird color. Um, but it's basically a book where he documents like how very extremely racist people were to him, uh, just like tra- traveling ar- around the deep south. Um, so so it is the real life soul man. Very strange book. Um, <laughs> what a strange book. Um. But yeah, so so do we want to uh, do we want to talk a little bit about uh, Brackett's uh, like career and yeah, like, yeah. who she was and stuff like that, and then we can we can sort of saunter into the tavern that is the <laughs> sort of analysis of <laughs> of this novella. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Brackett was born in 1915. Um, and she, I don't know how she got into, um, writing sci-fi. I think she kind of like, kind of like accidentally became friends with a bunch of sci-fi writers. I know that Ray, uh, Ray Bradbury mm-hmm. was like a lifelong friend, um, of hers. Wasn't, uh, I think it was one of the interviews that you'd sent me a link about, it's very convoluted, but yeah, it's basically she was like friends with friends and who, who ended up at the, um, I forget what the name of the, it's like the Los Angeles, uh, science fiction society. Something like that. Yeah. 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 And, um, I think it's one of two, the Baltimore, uh, science fiction society being the second, uh, two or three. I, I'm not sure. I think it's a very low number of sort of, uh, fan organizations that own like their own property. To meet oh, him. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, but yeah, like I, I believe that that that's how she uh sort of bumped into Ray Bradbury. I mean, that, that's just sort of such a weird thing to think about, right? Like you just sort of like bump into all these people mm-hmm. that are that become like these big names uh in writing in general, not just you know, they they sort of break out of yeah. Uh, science, the science fiction, you know, quote ghetto, if you will. And and she was not like it's it, it's interesting because in there's an interview that I, I listened to her that is an actual like recorded interview and it's it's funny to hear her talk because she has she has a kind of like a very like old, she she kind of has like a like a stereotypical like 1930s old lady voice where she kind of <laughs> sounds like this you know, um, but she also has like a very thick like weird antiquated West Coast accent. Um, that's like, like, it doesn't sound like somebody from Los Angeles now. It's got like, it's, it's got a, it's, it's an interesting sound. Um, but she kind of says like, I think she grew up like fairly wealthy. Um, and then was kind of like, fuck my family. I'm going to go hang out with weirdos and just went to find some weirdos and like wound up finding like a bunch of writers. Um, and she wasn't originally, her, her earliest writing was, was noir and crime novels. And I think some Westerns, I think was Mm -hmm. her earliest published, um, fiction uh and and she kind of simultaneously started writing as a screenwriter mm-hmm. um because of her crime fiction she got she got kind of like uh like suddenly kind of like press ganged into working on on the big sleep um mm-hmm. with uh god what's that what's that guy's name isn't it faulkner faulkner yes yeah yeah with uh faulkner and with uh howard is it Howard Hawks was the director, yeah, Howard, I think. Well, if if I'm remembering correctly, the the quote I saw was that Howard Hawks had read uh or or had had come across like uh, was it no good from a corpse. Yeah. Um and uh immediately asked, you know, hey, let me see, you know, sort of like quote, get me the guy that guy bracket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, and yeah, and and so bracket uh yeah, like basically learned uh you know learned some things from faulkner (laughs) about the biz if you will yeah and and so she kind of just like kind of fell into screenwriting and writing short stories and novels um and was kind of lifelong friends with all these weird sci-fi you know dorks um and uh that was like that was just kind of what she did as a career and she kind of drifted in and out of genre writing um she seemed to just kind of write whatever it struck her to write. Um, and she kind of, she, she got very, she, she and Bradbury were both um, in the late forties, part of the stable of writers that was very commonly printed in this book and in this, this magazine called planet stories. Um, 
which was essentially a it was launched originally as like a children's magazine but quickly became more of of like a teen like a like young young men's magazine that was intentionally so this this is where it gets confusing they were intentionally publishing throwbacks to early planetary romance like 1920s planetary romance so this would be like if somebody now well this you know this would be like if somebody now was like, let's launch a cyberpunk magazine. I don't know anybody who did that. What a stupid idea. <laughs> um, well, but, 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 you know, you, you, you say it's strange, but I don't, I mean, look at, look at the weird trend in the eighties where everyone was looking back to the fifties, right? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, no, I, I, I was also kind of like, like taking the piss on myself. Cause I, I technically, Oh run no, a no, you, magazine. you, you run a sem- <laughs> cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah. Um, bloodknife.com everyone if yes, you have heard this before .net and .org also i believe also. there you go um and they even hired and th- so th- this is what's confusing they hired a cover artist who had worked on all of the 1920s pulp magazines and so if you look at this magazine that came out in 1949 it looks like it came out in 1929 and so it's very deceptive um mu- much like how like hp lovecraft Sounds like he was writing 30 or 40 years before he was actually writing because he was mm-hmm. a weirdo who was like, I'm going to write in an old fashioned style. So Brackett and Bradbury were both kind of <laughs> kind of doing that. H.P. Lovecraft was just like, uh, was it Lita in, uh, in Andor? That she basically, wanted to, yeah. She wanted to find the old ways. Basically, yeah. Um, yeah. And so she was so uh, Brackett eventually became known as the queen of space opera. Um, she was the first woman shortlisted for uh, a Hugo f- for best novel. She didn't win. Um, that was for uh, The Long Tomorrow. Um, she was one of the first two women ever nominated for a Hugo Award. Um, she did win a retro Hugo in, in 2020. And the factoid that everyone always says uh, is that she she wrote The Empire Strikes Back. Now, this is this is true. She did she she did like all the initial early story meetings with George Lucas um, and then wrote like, like the first draft of it, her draft wasn't actually used. And I think she, she passed away before the, before the movie came out. The reason that I hesitate in saying this is I think it gets it backwards. Um, You shouldn't know her because of star Wars star. You should know star Wars because of, because of her, because star Wars is basically being like, let's do lay lay bracket. Um, it's not that, oh, you know, she got this chance to work on this big movie. It's, it's like, she was one of the people who was like a big inspiration for George Lucas. So it's, it's kind of like saying like, oh, I know the band, uh, yeah, Led Zeppelin is famous because they, they inspired, uh, the band Jet (laughs) or something, you know, (laughs) it's like, no, 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 she's Led Zeppelin already. So, (laughs) Look, Black Sabbath would be nothing without Elf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but so so um, I mean, you know, in in fairness, uh, Lucas has never made uh, never hidden that you know he was he w- he himself was basically going back to the old serials and you know Flash Gordon is definitely planetary romance type stuff. Oh yeah. Um, well, well, he he had so, like a nerd moment where so he hired he hired Lay Brackett because. Um, because he knew her as the writer of planetary romance. It was like, I want mm. like a still living pulp sci-fi writer who's still writing to come help me workshop some ideas. And when he met her, he was like, oh shit, 
you're also the screenwriter, Lay Brackett, who wrote The Big Sleep and Rio Bravo and Robert Altman's The Long Goodbye. I thought there were two Lay Brackets. And she was like, nope, there's just there's just me. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I mean, he, honestly, it's sort of funny to, to think that he, he got starstruck. Somebody that, that has that often struggles to emote. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like it's like poetry. It rhymes. <laughs> yes, yes, it does. So, um, so uh, I mean, uh, I, I wanted to also uh, say that uh, we should probably walk into the bar where this story is happening. <laughs> oh, last last point I want to mention. So she was good friends with Michael Moorcock also. Um, in fact, it seems like she was kind of like a... I don't know what you want to call her. She was like like a group mother to all these like young upcoming sci-fi new wave writers. So she knew like Selazny and Moorcock and all these guys when they were coming up. And she was like still active around, you know, like the fandom, but she wasn't like front and center. She was kind of like, you know, she was friends with everybody and introduced people and so on. Um, and Moorcock wrote a, a very touching eulogy for her. But one of the things he mentioned is she was like a lifelong Republican um, and she was like fairly conservative. Um, but uh, she, she was kind of like a weird, like if you read her stories, you would not guess that she is like a conservative. Um, and, and she worked with both Humphrey Bogart, who was like fairly far left actually. And um, John Wayne, who we all know, you know, we can all guess what John Wayne's politics are. They were pretty far right. Uh, and she fucking hated John Wayne and loved Humphrey Bogart. Um, and so she was a person of complicated politics, suffice to say. Um, and, you know, Moorcock is like a socialist, essentially, um, and was good friends with her and basically said, you know, yeah, she's pretty conservative, but she's like a good person. And so it never bothered me because when it mattered, when the chips were down, she would be on the right side of an issue that actually mattered. So, I mean, hmm. take, take that as you will, but it is a, it is a, conf it is confusing to read these very anti-colonialist sci-fi stories, um, or at least anti-colonialist, like for the time and be like, yeah, she was like very conservative. Well, I, I also, I mean, I, I don't think that it's very, um, it, it's, it's weird because, uh, you know, the, the the reality is that you know the the U.S. is a colonial power. I mean, I think it still holds like seventeen different territories, Puerto Rico being one of them. Oh yeah, but you know, but they're never called colonies; they're called <laughs> something else. Protect they're protectorates. There are little brothers territories. You know, just you know. Uh, anyway. The reason I'm mentioning that is because I do think that, especially if you were born, you know, uh, or lived in the early parts of the 20th century, uh, there there was a very strong effort to definitely uh, position the U.S. as non-colonial. You know, we had been a colony. We we shouldn't be colonizing other i think it, it's some of it came from uh the the wars in the philippines uh and and other places around the world for perhaps uh you know the usual somewhat bigoted reasons that you know let them sort it out over there those people type of uh things but also just in general i think that it it offended a lot of people i wouldn't be surprised if um that uh you know someone like you know like 
like Brackett might have been sort of raised to think that no, we we were a colony. We will not colonize other people, and that's mm-hmm. that's a bad thing. Yeah, yeah, and and she's also yeah, and and the other thing is, um, I think I think for a conservative of the time, it was a lot more acceptable to be somewhat anti-business, um, and she was definitely fairly like anti. Let's say anti big business. I don't think it's fair to call her anti capitalist at, at all, but it's. I think it's fair to say she was anti big big business. Like mining companies are very frequently um, the villains in in her stories, or some other kind of like big big company that is you know chasing people off their land. Well, which again is like a that, that's that there's there's like a weird Venn diagram where it's like you know. You, you think about like the the image of the American, you know, independent farmer getting chased off their land by the bank. And it's like, you know, conservatives hated that. That's like a very it, it plays directly into that, like, you know, self-sufficient American oh. mythos bullshit that conservatives have always loved. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there is a bit of like, you know, the two hands shaking meme. Right, right. I mean, um, what I was also going to say is that uh, shit, I forgot. <laughs> well, that happens, you know. Um but but oh, oh, I was going to say that that was what I was going to say. Uh, but but also uh, like like a mining company um is is very clever because like on on the one hand, you know, uh Brackett understood that, you know, like if you extend the metaphor, you know, of course, maybe literally if you could find resources on another planet, we'd be sending people over there to take it out right and it's a business that is literally extractive yeah it's sort of like on the one hand you get to be to to have a business but also the business that is the metaphor of exactly what you don't like right Mm -hmm. um anyway uh the the I was going to mention that uh, this this story, however, is a little different in in how it approaches these things because oh oh uh, another thing that that's odd right because um, you mentioned uh, like like the idea of uh, space space itself is usually still considered like a frontier right. And yes. here, weirdly, uh, you know, circling back to something you said earlier, uh, Bracket fills it with old civilizations, like yes. waves of imperialism have happened. Yeah, like collapsed civilizations often. Like a lot of her stories have like these kind of modern civilizations living in the ruins of like collapsed great, great powers is a very frequent mm-hmm. um theme in in both this and and it that's that's where I, I i reference that that like robert e howard um idea of like you know they were they were old before man was young mm-hmm. sort of thing like or you know earth is the newcomer to 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 this world mm-hmm. right right or this solar system i guess it is yeah i mean and and it's it's really um i mean it, it really is evocative i it it really like the even just thinking about like you know like jungle you know uh, jungle ruins but on venus it it just it scratches a little itch in my brain that you know, i didn't even know i i wanted you know <laughs> you you should definitely read black amazon of mars then cuz it it's got it's got a lot of that it's basically it's it's it, and it, it goes it goes weird places i think that this one was the better speaking of which we should talk about this story 
But <laughs> I, I think that that one is in some ways like even more a pure refinement of what you're talking about. Nice. Okay. All right. So, so um, a man a man walks into a space bar <laughs> <laughs> in a shithole. <laughs> yes. I mean, uh, what is it? Shroon is the the town, and and like you said, I mean, this is this is exactly what you were describing, right? This is a town that is almost like detritus that was, you know, like detritus that uh, that that tumbled off the side of some other castle. <laughs> it, they built a town, you know, in, in among the rubble there, and that's the place that he's headed towards. And and uh, it starts with the some Red of the, Sea or something. Yes, like that, Yes, right? it starts with some of the weirdest sci-fi. Im- like I, I, this is such a strange image. So the the way that this opens is that Eric John Stark is standing very cool. By the way, um, Lay Brackett loved big, muscly dudes um, in in her stories, uh, and and actually people would write in to complain that her stories had too much sex. In- <laughs> and she 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 like got a real kick out of it and like like kind of cackles gleefully when she recounts it but um uh, so, so it starts with eric john stark standing on the prow of this this vessel that is sailing over a red sea but the sea is not water it's a dense gas mm-hmm. um and and it's got this biz- it's just this bizarre image and uh of like like it's a sea that you can swim and breathe in and ships can sail on top of but it's not water it's it's like a very thick gas um it's, it's so weird i don't know there's something so off putting about that to me i love it like honestly it's it's um what it reminds me of uh and this is one of these things that uh man this D and D setting it needs to come back somehow, uh, which is the the Dark Sun one. Oh yeah, uh, the the Dark Sun had like remember they had like the Sea of Silt, mm-hmm. which is basically just like just like dust, <laughs> just congealed dust. Can I can, can I briefly read the description of this? Go for it. I, yeah, I yeah. love it. So it was not water. It was gaseous, dense enough to float the buoyant hulls of the metal ships, and it burned perpetually with its deep inner fires. The mists that clouded it were stained with the bloody glow. Beneath the surface, Stark could see the drifts of flame where the lazy currents ran, and the little coiling bursts of sparks that came upward and spread and melted into other bursts, so that the face of the sea was like a cosmos of crimson stars. It was very beautiful, glowing against the blue, luminous darkness of the night beautiful and strange yeah it it's such a weird image right and then it it, it gets weirder later on right because it, yeah it get, yeah because she she uses it for like the combat where like there's people like knife fighting while swimming around and like and gas but but so so like the the first thing that happens basically is these these it, it turns out that stark is kind of like paid like a like a a very shady merchant crew that he suspects are pirates to take him to this town called Sharoon, which is like a, it's it's kind of like a pirate city in in the ruins of this this ancient s- civilization, in search of um a a friend of his that that he knew and had fought with previously on um on on Venus. And I don't believe this character actually appeared in any other stories. It's just, it's just kind of doing that thing of like I it's very it's very like Elric kind of mm. conceit where it's like, I'm looking for my friend that I've never mentioned before, but he's my dearest best friend and I'm searching for him now. <laughs> um, 
And then it turns out that these pirates, unsurprisingly, are are like so like first they get very weird and they're like, oh, you should stay in my house. I have a beautiful daughter. You should you should come stay. And he's like, no, I don't. I don't want to. No, thanks. Um, and they're like, oh, no, I insist. We'll have, you know, wine, a big feast. And he goes, no, I really I really don't want to. Um, and they're like, OK, well, we're going to fucking kill you then. Um, and he winds up jumping off of the ship uh, into the Red Sea and kind of like swimming away, you know, beneath the the, the gaseous waves. It, it's it's so wild yeah and then then like he uh he's he's like swimming in thick air basically is yeah like, because it, as we'd mentioned the the this the red sea is a, a a heavier gas that sort of like uh has pooled at the it, you know along the shores here or whatever um because it's it, it's also like uh they're approaching like a the what was it the the name of the interior um basically like the, the this area of venus that no one oh, ever goes um, unless they live there uh, which is where yeah. shurun shurun and and the the, the action all Be, takes place. behind the mountains of the white cloud is that what you're talking about that yeah yeah the exactly. vast mystery of inner venus yeah it <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny to me um, it's so great. And, and there's also this bit about how like, you know, there's these there's this mysterious wailing sound and he sees kind of like ruins of like ancient battlements like looming up, you know, ab- above and he winds up kind of swimming into this weird little like village. Um very kind of it, it is this sequence struck me as very like 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 a uh, book of the new sun where mm-hmm. he just kind of like climbs out of the ocean and is like, "Oh, like a little village." And the people see him and are like, "I'm getting the fuck out of here." Um, and everyone's like slamming their doors on him and he's like, well, I'm just going to walk into town. Um, and he like, he walks into town into this, like this, you know, this like pirate city. Um, and he sees, he sees one other earth man and, uh, or no, he, he, he kind of like, he gets confronted by the people of, of the city and they're like, what do you want earth man? Um, and he winds up kind of taking refuge in a bar where he sees another, another earth man. Uh, and he recognizes him as kind of like a like a legendary outlaw from earth who, who led this revolt and has, has apparently like run away to live uh, on, on Venus and kind of like conciliates with, with him, I guess, or. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and well, he also doesn't, he also, uh, before he sort of like, <laughs> pulls himself out of the out of the uh the sea to walk into town doesn't he also uh find that weird grove that, oh uh, yes okay yeah so which so is under which the, has got like this real gothic weirdness to it you yeah know? yeah so under the red sea he sees this this forest of like giant plants that has basically been choked beneath this gas and so it's it's an ancient forest that is perfectly preserved under the get like under the gaseous sea and he swims through it and talks about how it's like it's all like perfect skeletal white and he can see these ancient formations everywhere um and he says like it it looks like it, it looks like it just grew but you know he can tell it's you know thousands of years old uh or or something and he kind of swims swims through this this stasis frozen in time beneath beneath the the, the gaseous sea yeah it's it's such a weird uh like image it it's great though i mean honestly it, it <sighs> what what i like about all this stuff is it manages it, it it's doing like very conventional imagery in a lot of ways right like he's 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 on a pirate ship he jumps into the ocean 
Um, you know, he swims through like a kelp forest, essentially. He climbs up into this kind of, you know, like, like, like a little like town of huts. He goes into a pirate city. He goes into a bar. You know, it, it's, it's all like, it's, you know, there's not like a ton of description of people, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Brackett doesn't need to stop and be like, I need you to understand, you know, Eric John Stark is a big burly man. She, she does that later. She gets a little bit horny um, <laughs> at, 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 at times in this. Often when people get tied up, I, I must say, is a very common <laughs> motif in, in her stories that, again, people would like complain about. Um And, uh, but like, like, you know, she's like, it's a bar, like, you know, like, like every bar you've ever seen in a spaceport. And it's, it very much, you you know, you're, you're picturing like, to to go back to something I said earlier, you're picturing like the Mos Eisley Cantina, right? It is a space bar. It is a bar. It is in space. And it doesn't, she doesn't need to sit there and spend three paragraphs explaining it. You get what a space bar is. It's Mm -hmm. on your keyboard. Um, but, but, but she manages to plumb these strange like dissonant images out of by, by combining very conventional language in, in a way that kind of reminds me of like Frank Herbert kind of does this a lot too in in Dune where it's like oh they're they're soldiers but they're you know they're weird they're strange soldiers from a weird planet mm-hmm. right well I mean um right here it's it's sort of like this somewhat modern sounding you know uh citizens uh in a in a town that is sort of like a seedy like noir-ish type of setting right uh but it's being like overlooked by the masters of the of the of the valley or whatever right uh, in a castle you know and it's like that's weird. So you which got are, like which are gothic only, only alluded to. Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, very very gothic like this town in the shadow of this ancient castle. And they're like, "Oh, you know, don't fuck with the lorry. Don't go talk don't go talk to them. My advice is leave now. Your friend was here and he went up and talked to them. I would not do that. People do not come back." Mm-hmm. Right, right. And uh, doesn't he get uh, he gets captured and taken before them, right? Yeah. So he, <laughs> in typical Conan fashion, um, so he he finds he he meets up with um, I think the I think the cap the pirate captain's name is Malthor. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And he and he basically figures out like oh like he wanted to sell me into slavery. Malthor confronts him. He runs away or does something. He like he like escapes with this the, this guy. Um, the, this, this earth, like earth renegade that he recognizes by, by reputation. Then he meets up and makes out briefly with Malthor's, uh, daughter, um, (laughs) in like this, like this, like alcove in the, it's very noir imagery. He's like, you know, he's like, he's like clutching his pistol standing in the rain, uh, and is making out with, you know, you know, the mysterious dame. Um, and she's like, please leave. Don't go talk to them. And he's like, fuck it. I'm going to go talk to them. And he goes he just goes up to their castle and like bangs on the door. And it's like, Hey, it's me, everybody. It's Eric John Stark. I want to talk to you, the ancient people who live here. Um, and they come out and, and I think he like briefly fights them and then they just shoot him with, with like a stud laser. And he just goes, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then like, uh, he, he has like, uh, he's brought before like the court, which is like a bunch of, 
like basically, I mean, I, I hesitate to use this because it's gotten, you know, it's it's obviously got some connotations, but a bunch of degenerates, yeah, <laughs> like the the degenerate arist aristocracy of Venus, you know, that, that are living in this castle. Yeah, it's it's almost like a combination of like of like elves and like a rich, like a weird rich reclusive family from something like like Chinatown or the big sleep or something. Right. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's got this very like old, like they're, they're basically old money. Right. You yeah. know, they live up on the hill above the town. They're weirdly decadent. And yeah, they're definitely like degenerates where they say, you know, there's the, you know, they've got this, this weird like child who's like murderous. They've got like the matriarch of the family who I have to say this in fairly like fat, fat phobic imagery. Fat phobic, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, when it, when it, when it comes to her and there's kind of like these two kind of like fade Rautha types who are kind of like, mm -hmm. like the, like the shitty, like brother cousins, <laughs> the weird, like yeah. incest brother cousins who are, and what one of them has like a weird, like a like a bird or something that they keep tormenting. Well, uh, a dra a little dragon, and then it's just so th that's the thing. Uh, like like this is basically like oh you 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 th you thought the Harkonnens are bad. Well, how about we show you a room filled with different types of Harkonnens? You know. Yeah. And 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 Eric John Stark observes that like these aren't these aren't the people who should be in Sharoon. These are these are like he, he recognizes them essentially as like the Venusian people who live on the other side of the mountains. Like, like the, like the, these are like descendants of, I guess like the main Venusian race. And he's kind of like, what are they doing here? Like, that's, that's, that's weird. Like they, they, they shouldn't be here uh, essentially. Um, and they, they kind of seem to be dying off, but they're still very powerful. They have all this like ancient technology. Um, and do, do, do you remember what, 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 what they, what they do is this, this when they like, I think that like the daughter kind of like wants to fuck him basically. <laughs> uh, they, I believe, yeah, I believe that the, they try to, it, it becomes clear um, later on that, that, that basically they're, they're sort of like in a dead end, like a, a evolutionary dead end, if you will. Yeah. And they, they do want to find a way to sort of revitalize uh, their bloodline. You know? Yes. Yeah. But like specifically, like the daughter is also like the, 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 like, I guess one of the two daughters, maybe. I don't remember how many there are. And it probably doesn't really matter that, that much. Like Brackett, Brackett, to be fair, kind of plays like f fast and loose with like the rules a little bit. Um, but I, I want to say that w w one of the daughters, is like betrothed to so one of the other guys there and is like, oh, this earth man, like he probably fucks real good. Like, not like, not like, <laughs> you know, that shitty guy. Like, I bet, you know, he could like, he could take me Um, I, I, again. Th this is like, it's, it's, it's funny how offended people apparently were by the sexuality in these. Cause it's very like, it, it's extremely anodyne, maybe borders a little bit on like a very chaste, like bodice ripper type type romance mm -hmm. at times for moments and apparently nerds would like write dozens of angry letters to the magazine be like too much sex too much sex there's not it's not that's not proper <laughs> are we sure that they that are we sure that this is from 49 because yeah, not, it sounds very current 19 yeah <laughs> um but yeah so so she she kind of like she wants to to make out with him and john stark is like no fuck you 
um, I don't want to. And she gets mad and I think tries to send her bird to kill him or something. And he mm-hmm. like smacks it away. Um, and then eventually they zap him again and basically say like, you're going to go off to the slave mines essentially, mm-hmm. or some, some kind of slave project, I believe. Yeah. Well, he gets sent back down to the same weird I- island, quote unquote, underneath the yes, the, that's right, the yes. Red Sea. That's where they send the lost ones, and uh, that's where he finds his best of buds, bosom buddies from you know from birth, Helvi, who we've never heard of since or before. <laughs> yes, and yeah, he, uh, he he basically gets given like an explosion. Like an exploding neck collar, sort of, or it's it's it's, it's, <laughs> yes, it's like a super yes. taser collar. And they're like, look, like you are in, you know, you you are now a lost one. You will work excavating these ruins until you die. This is everyone's fate here. Um, I want to say that Malthor and his daughter have also been sent there because basically, like they 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 fucked up or like they pissed off the Lari. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and they get sent there. And and they're just like, well, this is this is your life now. You're, you're going to work here basically until you're worn out and you die. And he says, like, he already sees, like, his friend Halvi is kind of, like, is, like, diminished from the man that he knew, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, th- there's a because of uh, because Malthor is still nursing a grudge. There's a little bit of uh, uh, sort of setting up that, you know, like. People have been watching over, <laughs> watching over. Yeah, because he's he's uh, like he's like paralyzed. Him. Yes, for a bit. As, yeah. as as he's sleeping because you know Malthor's over there and just like you know glaring daggers at him. Um, but yeah, like like uh, it it turns out that shit. I forgot. It's like one of the. I think it's the guy that's betrothed to 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 Vara. I think is the the weird. Oh um, yes. Yeah. So this this is yeah. He's. He's essentially like he's essentially like he's got a bunch of like uh, disabilities, mm-hmm, essentially. Yeah. Um, and he is he's kind of like a sensitive artist type. And he says, like, I'm not, you know, he's like he's not respected, basically, by any of the other Lari. They hate him. They just want him to die. Um, and he basically says, like, look, I, I I think he says, like, look, like, I want you to help me destroy the rest of my family, essentially. I believe mm-hmm. is more or less what happens. Um, and he also, but Stark is also visited by like the daughter from the Lari who kind of like wants to make out with him some more and is like, come on, let's, let's piss off my family and make out some more here, you know, at, 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 under the gaseous sea. So this is, it's like a, <laughs> it's like a, like they're like floating around underwater, under, under gas, you know, making out, being angry at each other, excavating ancient ruins. Um, and so well, you've kind of got like, they're, they're excavating the ancient ruins. It turns out uh, later, you know, they, after a while, um, uh, uh, what's his face? Stark finds out that it's because there's like an ancient, uh, some some ancient machinery from like the ancient past of Venus that was supposed to uh, grant. Uh, I I don't remember his immortality or 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 definitely like just sort of. Uh, revitalizes it's, people's it's bodies. Gene, it's like it's like gene editing, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, yes. Like what, what what's explained is that the the Lari know that there was an offshoot of the main Venusian civilization. There's like an ancient Venusian civilization that lived here, and they had mastered the ability 
to essentially remake their own bodies as they saw fit. And they could become very strong, they could become very tall, very beautiful, whatever. Um, and that and that they kind of like engineered themselves into perfection. But that what what they discovered was that the more they engineered themselves and tried to make themselves perfect, kind of like the more this weird malaise or decay set in. And so the more they tried to become perfect, the more kind of like decrepit and falling apart um, they became. And they eventually kind of said, like, we are doomed. This technology, nobody should use this technology. And they... I think like they created the gas seat basically to, to cover over the the ruins of their civilization and they hid their technology for all time. Um, but the the Lari want to use it to basically become godlike again. Like they mm-hmm. basically view this as their birthright and they want to restore themselves to their former glory. And and it turns out basically that like all this technology that they have is technology that they've excavated. And they don't actually understand any of it. They just kind of have like powerful trinkets that they've dug up f- from the ground, essentially. My God, they they live at the they live at the the venture industries compound. Bas- yeah, basically. I mean, yeah, <laughs> just like you know. yeah, mining the 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 halcyon past of better of better uh, you know, like better people than themselves. Uh, they they do find it, and uh, I found that the um, it, it was very reminiscent of the scene in. Uh, which I don't know if it's a scene in in the stories, but the the scene in Conan uh, where he finds the sword, the Atlantean sword in the uh-huh. crypt. Uh, except oh, that this yeah. is this is more along the lines of like weird science fantasy type stuff, where uh, the 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 go the quote ghost, which is basically just a pre recorded uh, telepathic message. Yes, I I love that. Yes, I, I love, love that. that. And it's sort of like if you. If you got too close to a certain thing, it would tell you that, yeah, you, the, the, the technology is here, but you should know, no one should use this. This should be destroyed. Yeah. So uh, it's like, yeah, the, it's like, it's like turn back, turn back now. Don't come in here. This is our tomb. Leave it, you know, leave it. And, and basically what, what, what turns out is that the, the Lari are digging in the wrong place. Only mm-hmm. their kind of like nephew knows where it is. Um, and he winds up like using it on himself to make himself like perfect and strong um and basically like like erase his his you know his physical disabilities basically his various like impairments um and becomes like you know like this this godly fighter uh and it's it's kind of like it's kind of like weirdly sweet how he's mm-hmm. like so excited of like you know like everyone's been like everyone's been talking shit on me constantly, and now I'm like, I, I, again, like I, I can't really speak to this from like the angle of like ability and disability, but like the the character beats I think are very like sympathetic and sweet. Where you can see this person who's been like bullied and pushed around by his family, and is like, now I can fight back. Um, and kind of like he and Eric Stark become best buds, and they go off to fight the family. And um, this is well, very he- evocative scene. I have to talk about the the knife fight scene um, mm-hmm. with uh, I forget if it's I think it's with Malthor initially, where like Stark is describing like fighting in while floating in the gas, and when he kills he kills one of the Lari I think, or maybe it's Malthor I, I think it's yeah it's Malthor um, and he he kind of like guts him and then pushes him away and just mentions like his body just kind of like floats away 
in the gas, mm-hmm. like because you know it's it's buoyant essentially, and he mentions periodically like the dead bodies just kind of like bumping around and bouncing around essentially in like zero gravity while other stuff is going on. They kind of see it floating off into the distance, um, and and he says something like you know uh, at like as if the bodies were contemplating eternity. They had plenty. Of, that was all that that they had time for now, or something like that. Damn. <laughs> I was just also it's it, 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 it plays with an image that um that is always stuck with me uh from from like uh Dante Alighieri's uh, Inferno which is like when when they cross over the river uh sticks Dante glances down and he sees the people who tried to cross without the ferryman they're just stuck there yeah. forever and ever. Uh, and it, it plays with that same image, which is just sort of just like amazing and sad and just like ominous. Um, one thing I did want to point out, uh, uh, you know, and, and again, uh, caveats to, you know, I, I'm, you know, I don't, pretend to have any physical disabilities of, of any sort um so you know when uh, was it tuan or t- Teron? I, I think or, I, I think i think Teron. i think yeah yeah uh basically the minute he come he comes out and he's transformed into like like you said uh sort of like the the perfect figure like he assumes this air of sort of noble n- nobility that is also doomed mm-hmm. Uh, which is, you know, it, it, you know, no, no big surprise. He he ends sort of like doing what he wanted to do, but also dying in the process. Oh so. yeah, and I mean, he 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 specifically says like like I know that doing this to myself will kill me, but mm-hmm. I like I need to do like like I I need to stand up for myself. Like I need to fight back, even though I know that it will kill me. And 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 he also like he also like destroys the machinery. Yes. Um. After he kind of like you know makes himself like a god, but there, 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 to to your point about the nobility, there was something I thought was very interesting that was mentioned, which was like it, it's kind of like a flawed wish fulfillment because he's fighting all these guys, but Stark mentions like he doesn't really know what he's doing because like he doesn't know how to fight, like he's never he's never fought before, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and so he he kind of gets he's very strong, but he also gets like easily overwhelmed and kind of like like badly injured. Um, and so at the same time, it's not like a perfect wish fulfillment. It's kind of like, you know, he, he gets this moment of glory, but he, he's also, as you say, he's also like doomed in the process and he's not really as intimidating as he kind of feels himself to be like Stark mentions, you know, like having to constantly go over and like, kind of like, you know, fend people off from him because again, he doesn't, he doesn't really know how to fight. He's never fought before. He's never learned how to fight. Yeah, it it also uh, brings to mind like other, like you know later uh, things. I, I don't I don't pretend to say that something like um, was it Blade of the Immortal is is channeling you know, like it was <laughs> was inspired by Lee Brackett, but but you know there is like that idea that you know via not not all you know not always being afraid of dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, the fact that you are effectively immortal or whatever, or, or, you know, very, very difficult to kill makes you sloppy. And exactly, in this case, it's, yeah. 
it's it's the other way around. It's just like like you said, he's he's always had to contend with these disabilities. He's never really been able to stand up for himself uh, and, and physically, you know, like like demand that people you know respect him, uh, and th- therefore he's he's like a child. You know, he's sort of doesn't know how to measure his own strength. You know, that type of thing. And there's also uh, um there's also uh it, it, it's it's again. Bracket returns to one of her favorite themes here, where Stark essentially leads like like a slave uprising, essentially mm-hmm. against the Lari, and he free he he like breaks in and like destroys the power station that powers everyone's kind of like stun, like stun ne- necklaces, sort yeah. of stun um, collars or whatever. Yeah, and like they they do some kind of trick where they like sneak around behind them and they blow up the power station. Uh, and then all the slaves like rise up and and Stark's uh Stark's um friend Helvi rises up and also the um uh the the human renegade I, I think is initially like like on the fence and is finally like you know what fuck it let's you know let's let's live or die today or something and all the slaves rise up against against the Lari and they're killing all well, of like the slavers and. and- it is it is interesting because I, I do remember her pointing out that um that after the initial like skirmish where they the slaves win their freedom, there are many more slaves than there are, you know, weapons that they've right. liberated from the guards. Um and sort of like I, I had a chuckle to myself where, you know, like somebody on the outskirts of the slave rebellion is just like grumbling like, Oh, I see. His friend gets a weapon, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but but anyway, uh yeah, like like the, the it, it's it's maybe uh several hundred uh slaves that have been down there, like the lost ones. Um and, and only a fraction of them are are, are armed when they start yes. to which is which is an interesting thing to talk about because it 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 then in implies that you know obviously there are going to be unarmed people you know unarmed slaves that die they don't linger on that but it it is something that yeah she makes you think about and it's it's to that point it it also um uh, the the Lari die very ignoble deaths like they don't even really like a lot of them don't even really go down fighting he's just kind of like he sees them overwhelmed by the slaves and Mm -hmm. that's just that's just it and he's like kind of just like looks away um it's not even like they make this glorious last stand like they're not even really like at that point they're not even really like an imposing villain Mm -hmm. um and i i think stark winds up fighting like one of them like protractedly and he and um two Turan maybe wind up like uh fighting it's 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 interesting because like Turan also mentions that he's 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 kind of like a, he's got these these like prophecies and like and like a premonition so he's also like foretold his own death i i, I believe mm. um but it, it is just kind of like they they get completely wiped out uh essentially by the but by the uprising i don't completely remember what the precise resolution is i know that malthor's daughter dies to save stark from like a like, like a death ray essentially basically yeah mm-hmm. um i know that malthor is dead i think all the lari die um does does uh his his friend from earth like stays behind i think and is like i'm going to help them rebuild no. 
No, no, he uh, he he changes his mind in the last minute, like almost on the last page. It's uh, was it the astronaut Larrabee or whatever? Yes, which, that's right. Which that's is a Larrabee. Great, yes, I I love the name because it has like a nice <laughs> it has like a nice rhythm to it, you know. Um, and then at the last minute, he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I I've been here too long. I I should probably move and you know explore the rest of the 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 solar system or whatever." Um, it is sort of funny uh, because it's like a very last minute. <laughs> yeah, it, it feels like there's this there's this constant. Um, the way that this story is structured feels like it always wants to be surprising, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's it's got that very pulp propulsiveness where it's like something has to happen every four pages. <laughs> like like somebody has to get knocked out or somebody has to die or somebody has to betray somebody or somebody has to it's so, so like yeah like right up to the very end it's just like something's got to happen oh you know uh his friend jumps on board and it kind of just yeah. ends with them like sailing off and he's like you know helvy and stark are going off to have more adventures stark, stark winds up returning to mars i i think because mm-hmm. the, the next book is the the other one i mentioned Helvy goes back home. Larrabee has some kind of adventures. And there's no real, like, what's interesting is that there's no real re- resolution of the story itself. It's kind of like, it, it kind of establishes this, like, timeless quality of, of adventure, where it's like, well, we're off to the next adventure somewhere. Mm-hmm, right. It's like a very pulp, you know, pulp idea. <laughs> They're all mercenaries. They they, they can't, <laughs> I can't be caught, uh, I can't be caught here. Uh, I'm not going to be part of the their, their junta. I got to go. <laughs> I mean, basically, what's interesting is that, like, th- this setup, you're right, like, they basically are mercenaries, but I think that a lot of modern media a- a- approaches, you know, being a mercenary, probably correctly, with a sort of, like, dark fatalism, where it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's a very, like, uh, You've you've read or watched uh, Berserk, right? I, I've, I've yeah, I've read a little bit of it. Yeah. So so like like yeah like like one of the ideas then that you'll you'll be aware of is like this idea that kind of like everybody's gonna die. Like you know it's not a great thing to be a mercenary. Like you're kind of you know you're you're spending your life essentially for riches, and you'll eventually run out of life to spend. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just not present in these stories. It's kind of like well we're on to the next adventure, you know, uh, yeah. you know, and it kind of it, it's funny because. The story as a whole it gets like fairly mature, but it is in this very boys' adventure mode where you know p- people have to die for it to feel impactful. But at the same time, like Stark doesn't necessarily learn anything, and he's like, "Well, I'm off to you know do the same thing somewhere else." <laughs> Essentially, well, I mean, in in a certain sense, like uh, each of the stories feels like an it like like if you had chopped up uh, a a a picaresque, right? In, yeah, in the sense that. It, it, like, yeah, like like one of the things about a picaresque is the fact that the the main character generally doesn't learn anything. <laughs> they don't change in any, you know, like like they may have some some things happen to them and they have to change for that story or that segment, but then it reverts back to you know whatever they were before. And yeah. you know, in in the sense, like in this sense. You know, Stark the space barbarian needs to continue being a, sta- a space barbarian. You know, right? And every story has to hap- has to start with something having just happened, and it has to mm-hmm. end with something about to happen. Yeah, um, yeah. Because like like the the next story, Black Amazon of Mars, begins with you know Stark's longtime best friend, who's never been mentioned before, dying 
of of his wounds and like entrusting Stark with this, you know, this this like sacred quest, essentially. And Look, he's, he's um, never been mentioned before. He doesn't tie back to this story at all. We we don't see why they became best friends. It just it just has to it has to start with a bunch of shit just happened. Just like in this story, it's like, well, my best friend Halvey is is gone. He doesn't discover Halvey being gone. It's like, well, he's gone. I'm I'm here now to find him. And then he has to, you know, rampage th- through the story and then end with him being like, and on to the next thing. <laughs> Listen, we don't we don't question how many people Angela Fletcher was friends with. That's right. It's suspicious. <laughs> suspicious how everywhere John Stark goes, everywhere Eric Stark goes, it, there's, a, there's a slave uprising that he personally caused. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. So, you'd think you'd think Earth would have uh, sent out uh, several battalions to. Uh... That's how the first Eric John Stark story begins. Mm, His dad okay. tracks him down in the desert and is and is like, you know, halt. And Eric John, you know, Eric Stark is like, I better hide. I'm going to ambush these guys. And out walks his surrogate dad is like, hey, I know it's you, Eric. Can you come out? I have a mission for you. You know, and it, it literally begins with him fleeing from something that's just happened that we don't we're, we're not privy to. <laughs> like all the stories <laughs> begin in media res and end ex media res. <laughs> Stark is on the lamb. All right, yeah. that's a great way to start a story. Let's do it. So, so Carlo, I have to ask you. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think you've you're, you're you're like a big planetary romance guy. Um, I know that you've 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 read you know a fair bit of pulp. So let me let me ask you, what do you think of planetary romance? Having read this, and what do you think of this kind of like revived planetary romance? I, I, I guess with like you know Stark. Like, did you like the story? Did you dislike the story? I, you know, I, I'm I'm curious. I I was really sort of surprised at how um, stylistically it felt very modern. Uh, like it, it didn't feel how, how to put this. Like we, we've read the cold equations, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't feel like cold equations. No. <laughs> yeah. Like, like Godwin, Godwin had a good idea and sadly he's not the greatest stylist. And uh, you know, that, that's just the I way it push is. The button for my robo rockets. You know? <laughs> yeah. Can you not, can, can you do it? No, you can't do it. No, it can't be done," said the captain. "I guess it can't be done." You know, I guess that's the, like the the fifties uh, version of uh, "They Fly Now." Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so so I felt um, that the prose, uh, and 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 I don't know if if it's simply that because I knew that Brackett had worked in noir. Uh, that it it had sort of like uh, colored my perceptions, but I I de- definitely felt like the the prose um, was very sort of um, yeah, very sort of like I, muscular is the word that comes to mind, yeah. like very <laughs> yeah, very sort of like uh, in your face about stuff. And I, I think you had you had noted uh, something that now I can't not see, uh, which is that the way she writes is essentially like she does a little uh, her her opening uh, sentence for every paragraph is like this thesis statement for yes. this for the for the paragraph, uh, and the rest of it is just sort of like elaborating on the on that main point. So you can almost uh, I I also imagine that that you know if she was like. Uh, doing outlines that's how you you would just basically write out write 
your first draft, right? <laughs> and then fill, put in the filler later. Um, but but it is a weird thing to just sort of like you could almost skim the first par- the first sentence of every paragraph yeah. and still follow. Yeah, and it is. Yeah, I, I think you're right that it, it does feel very modern to me. I think it's it's surprisingly visual. I think for um for what we imagine writing of that era to to be like um it it, it does feel I think that if you put this alongside something like a sound of thunder you start mm-hmm. to see where they're coming from a similar place but as you say if you put it alongside cold equations you're like what really and I I I think I really think that that kind of like I've had a couple drinks now I'll say I kind of think of it as <laughs> as like science fucker stories uh where where it's like you know science and raw math and equations um I kind of think that they intentionally degraded their writing a bit and I I'm really curious about like I want to read more interviews with these guys about like their writing process because um like if you read cold equations it is uh, it is much clunkier than this mm-hmm. and this is mm-hmm. very like lyrical and poetic and it feels much more gothic and it feels much more Robert E. Howard, early sword and sorcery. Like if you read a Conan story, it reads much more like this than it reads like cold equations, unsurprisingly. Um, yeah. And I, I feel like that that is the missing puzzle piece in a lot of modern writing is people are using that gothic style inherited through sword and sorcery, through planetary romance, through new wave. Cause again, that was the big new wave thing is like, let's, let's write some purple shit again, instead of being like, you know, Dr. Dr. Science man pushed the examiner button and shot his laser ray. (laughs) Well, I I think, and, and, and I might be misattributing it, but I believe it was, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of writers and they, they still do, uh, have like this, um, the whole dear, like this, uh, advice that, uh, Again, I might be misattributing it to Asimov, um, where he said that he should, that you should, uh, something along the lines of you should aspire to make sure that your window, that, that your prose is like a window and not like a stained glass. Yeah. Uh, window in a cathedral um so it's very clear and whatnot and i think people have taken away the wrong <laughs> like clarity does not mean that you sand off any stylistic stuff you know and i i feel like a lot of people it, it's like show don't tell it's something that has been repeated so many times that it's now become like a game of telephone you you'll never understand <laughs> yeah like most people don't understand what that means exactly uh anyway uh yeah i i just found this really interesting it, it didn't feel you know it, it that's the thing right it it didn't feel like um like the new age stuff the, the new wave stuff i should say not the new age stuff <laughs> <laughs> the, there the, might the be some new age stuff eric john stark in the age of aquarius look eric john stark and the crystals from pluto <laughs> yo, yo, the Sidonian crystals in Pluto, bro. <laughs> Some Plutonian Nyborg. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah, it 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 felt sort of modern in a different way, you know? And yeah, uh it- for for all for all that um Brackett doesn't spend a lot of time like describing what people look like or stuff like that. I never felt like I didn't understand what they looked like. Does that make sense? 
Yeah. And I, I think a big part of that is because she's drawing from kind of well-worn cliche, but then putting it in a new context. So like, again, mm-hmm. Eric John Stark is like, is like a muscly cowboy type guy, or he's like, he's like a Tarzan type guy. You know, you don't need to be like, he was a big muscly guy. His quads were this big, his triceps were this big, his delts were this big. Although she does have some, some pros where she does that. What's funny is um she, om- she almost never really describes women. <laughs> <laughs> She's just like, uh, they, they were mysterious and a bitch. <laughs> and then, and then she gets to like describing a man and she's like his, his, his hefty muscles and, and sweaty back and, and well tanned skin and his, his well, tight. You know, <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess, his uh, jaw yeah. and beautiful face. She, I guess she was trying to go for the female gaze, uh, you know, turnabout's fair play. I yeah, I mean, it, it, it very much is. It's, yeah, it's kind of like this weird, like, inverse Conan where it's like, let's just sexualize the hell out of Conan. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, I, I want to write Conan like I'm somewhat molesting him. And it's like, no. <laughs> well, so, so, I, I mean, it's, it, it, it bears mentioning in the next Eric John Stark's story, I've, I've told this story on on Twitter before, so I, I apologize if people have already heard this. But there's a protracted sequence where um, Eric John Stark gets captured by these like Martian rebels, um, and to test him, they they strip him nude and then have one of their 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 biggest most muscly warriors. He himself strips nude, and then they 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 whip him in front of the whole army, <laughs> including their, their their like beautiful female commander, who is like mm, impressive, very impressive. Whip him harder. <laughs> <laughs> so I oh, definitely wow. think that okay. like uh, I definitely think that Brackett wore her heart on her sleeve a little bit when writing this, and I I, I honestly think it fucking rocks. Um, and <laughs> she's great. She's she's pretty straight, straight straightforward about it in in like later interviews where she's like, I I never had a problem with sex in in media. Um, what bothers me is all these feelings. I think there should be more swords. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Oh man. All right, so um, yeah, I mean, uh, I would definitely read another uh, another bracket story. Uh, in fact, uh, I had picked up what is it, the the Sword of Riadon or whatever. Oh um, yeah, I, I haven't read that one yet. Uh, I I picked up like a used copy uh, ages ago because uh, you know, like I, I still have this um, this idea in my head that we should we should do like uh, I don't know like uh, some sort of end zone or something like that. Basically it's uh, books, books from like the D and D appendix N like the, the first edition Ooh. had appendix N, which were basically like all the, all the books that uh, Gygax sort of was drawing from yeah. to, to make, you know, D and D what we know today. Um, and uh, I mean, there is a fantastic uh, podcast already out there called Appendix N. Uh, full disclosure, I went to go talk to them about Frankenstein. Uh, we should but, we should get them on at some point. That would be yeah, that yeah, would kick ass. Definitely, we'll have to upgrade yeah. our podcasting software to support you know however fucking many people that winds up being something like that. <laughs> a little glimpse behind the curtain, folks. All right. Well, anyway, um. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed this, uh, and we sh- we should probably like read some more of Bracket stuff for sure. I would love to read more of Bracket. I really also just I also just think we should do just like a pulp just like a pulp month and just do well, you know like like the length and break because it, it's it's a it's a big span of time. Like really, pulp kind of started in like the early twenties. 
mm-hmm. um, and really ran until uh, like you know like the late forties. Like Planet Stories was really like the last the last gasp, and it died for mm-hmm. a very funny reason. Um, which is again, like I mentioned, like all these writers got embarrassed about like, oh, you know, Venus isn't really a jungle. Um, and that, that literally just kills that style of writing. Like they were like, well, we can't possibly write it if it's not accurate. I mean, (laughs) that is the one thing to, to a certain degree. I think I, I wanted to say this earlier when we were talking about that, it is, it is really sort of like, it's really annoying to me that, you know, we just gave up on a mode of writing. Uh, because, oh, the science is like, yeah. Because okay, Mars is boring, it turns out. <laughs> well, and, and like, honestly, like, like, okay, so suddenly, like, is Brackett going to be writing, like, hard sci-fi about, like, the moon and Mars? No, she's, oh, she wants she, to write about. She, she literally, she, she holds a grudge, a, a gentle grudge against um, uh, John Campbell. Because he would never publish her because she didn't know enough about science. And and she's like, mm. yeah, my husband, like, was – I think he was, like, a former chemist and something. So she was like, yeah, he could put a bunch of chemistry bullshit in his stories. And, <laughs> and you know, Campbell would snap him up and be like, yeah. And she's like, "I, but, you know, he didn't want my bullshit, basically. <laughs> and yeah. she was kind of – she was like, you know, I kept sending him stories and he wouldn't publish them. <laughs> there wasn't enough science bullshit. Uh, Campbell. Um, also, uh, one thing that um – if we can circle back real briefly, one thing that, uh, you know, you'd mentioned about maybe reading some more pulp. I was thinking about, um, uh, the fact that, uh, bracket was, uh, was nominated for a Hugo. What was the name of the, the book? Something about, uh, the long tomorrow, the long tomorrow. And, uh, she was, I believe, uh, CL Moore, and her were on the same ballot. Uh, and speaking of CL Moore is another very planetary. Yeah. Uh, I was just reminded of Jarell of Joyry or whatever it's called. Uh, we should probably check CL Moore out too. Definitely. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's, there's a few people. Um, our, our good, our good pal, uh, who is rad, um, did, uh, an episode or actually a two part episode with, mm-hmm. uh, our, I guess our sister podcast, right? Good, um, right? Good about yeah. about uh, diverse sci-fi and fantasy writers of the early twentieth century, um, and covered a, a number of pulp writers. Actually, um, yeah, I mean, there, it was a, it was a two-parter. Uh, the first one covered sort of like the pulp era, and then the second one co- covered more or less like the new wave type yeah. of era. Uh, fantastic! Uh, like like hats off to. Uh, to Stephen for his encyclopedic knowledge. Yes, uh, and we'll 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 be having him on here soon to uh, uh, to talk a little bit about his encyclopedic knowledge of the Book of the New Sun. Oh yeah, I am yeah. excited for that. Yeah, man. Um, oh, uh, uh, speaking of uh, like the 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 longevity of the pulp era, y- you want to hear something that just blew my mind. I think this was like a couple of months ago. I was listening to some interview and they were talking about like, oh yeah, you know, Fritz Leiber, who I read is, you know, like the 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 author of, you know, Fafford and the Grey Mouser stories and the Lankmar stories, which are great, great fun. Um, but also a bunch of other stuff as well. And um they were like, Oh yeah, he he used to be very young, but corresponded directly with HP Lovecraft. And you're like, what yeah 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 and you forget you you sort of forget how 
you know, like how long some of these authors have been around. Uh, it is very wild to, to think about that. It, you know, it's, it's, it's like thinking about like, oh yeah, you know, the, the, the pyramids in Egypt. And if you went there, there'd be like a Kentucky fried chicken, you know, like within 300, uh, 300 yards of, of any of the pyramids or whatever. You know, you're like, wait, what? <laughs> oh yeah. I, I mean, there was a, um, there is an enigmatic figure called R. Elaine Everts who um, traveled around the country in the the mid sixties, I believe with a tape recorder um, interviewing basically everyone he could find that had known HP Lovecraft that was still alive. And he f- interviewed like a ton of people. Um, and it's, it's very, it's strange. Yeah. To imagine that's like, Oh yeah, that guy <laughs> it was been yeah, there for 30 yeah. years. But I, I mean, yeah, like, you know, 1965 is only, you know, 30 or 40. It's, it's like, you know, like when we were, well, when I was a kid to now, <laughs> for you, I guess, it's a little bit different, you know, not that. Yeah, I wasn't that big yet. of a difference. In 1965, did, did I was you a know man. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. I, I commune with him daily. <laughs> he complains about his, his, his tummy hurting and why there aren't enough beans. <laughs> Christ. And pizza. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the, the devilish the, Italian food, yes. The the old the old ones uh the old ones uh uh cuisine itself, I see. yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah, so um if you haven't checked it out, I mean this this was uh this is on Project Gutenberg. Uh, it's free to read. Uh go check it out. Uh yeah. if you if you haven't already before listening to this episode. You can, as we, we say at the very end of the episode. Yeah, well, you, can, you know, we always we always forget. We get excited. You can also buy a giant compendium of like just a ton of uh, lay bracket works on um, Kindle for like a dollar, where they just you know they just put a bunch of her short stories and novellas together. And so, yeah, if this sounds interesting to you, you should go check it out. I want to read yeah. some of her her uh, her like you noir know crime stuff. her crime and noir. Yeah. Because I, well, I, I bet it's cool. You know, you 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 mentioned earlier about like you know Lee Brackett, you know, doing like writing whatever she wants, and it brought to mind uh, Sylvia Miranda Garcia doing more or less what that is now. You know, yeah, like a horror movie, like like a fantasy. Uh, like was it Gods of Jade and Shadow is a fantasy? You know, yeah, a, yeah. Uh, Mexican Gothic horror, and she's like been writing like weird true crime or detective novels like <laughs> is, the last two <laughs> ones it, it is funny when you encounter that in like the 40s though because one of the most reliable ones was westerns so, mm-hmm. so it's like this person who's writing you know spaceships and then like you know westerns which well, like, I mean, to now, well, now sounds funny but it, like, it makes sense it's like they're well, riding I mean, an alien horse <laughs> but I mean, yeah, like, like it, it, the, the thing about Western speaking of like the, the weirdness of time, right. Uh, wasn't, wasn't like one of the, one of the, I forget which, which, uh, cowboy, like from the, from the era of the old West, uh, was still like, basically was still alive oh, in 1928. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it was, there was two of them. There was, um, I think, I think, uh, wild bill. I think mm. was one of the last of them. And then, um, uh, what was her name? Um, uh, I can't remember Jane? her name. Yes. Yeah. Calamity Jane was, was alive for a while too. I think. Yeah. 
I mean, and and not to, you know, obviously not great people for what they did and whatnot, but you know, obviously they're famous uh, or infamous as the as the case may be. I think most of these people suffer. Yeah, you know, had sort of a notoriety that then mellowed into you know people admiring them for you know whatever yeah. whatever they did and like you know that's 1928 uh and again you know like i, I feel like it, it it's not that long to the 40s and be like yeah westerns is how, how weird he's like mm, well you know they're marketing to basically the boomers parents you know yeah yeah or i mean even even the boomers honestly so it's it's it's, yeah, fun. I mean, I, it's at, funny yeah at that point i think it just becomes it, it's sort of like what uh hawaiian shirts are now where it you know it was obviously something <laughs> that was appropriated but now it's like uh, yeah it's appropriated but like what are you gonna do it's it's funny though because i was talking to um my i guess he's like an elder boomer um great uncle who and he was talking about how he read I, I didn't know this about him he's like yeah i used to read tons of sci-fi pulp and like that's mostly what i read now i was like oh no shit and we we talked a bunch about different like pulp authors and he was like oh yeah 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 lay bracket i remember this story i was like holy shit like he was like i mean it makes sense he was a kid in you know 1949 reading a bunch of shit about yeah about space well, um, so one thing that i was noticing that that i, I can't say for sure but seems to line up is that you know like you you mentioned how visual a lot of her uh writing is in in this story and like you know she'd come from you know she'd returned to the 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 sort of like the planetary romance space opera type stuff uh in 48 uh you know after she'd she'd done a stint of writing you know for scripts and stuff like that so it it does make sense I don't know if that's exactly what we're talking about here, but yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, at, at this, we're just going long, who cares? Uh, like at, at this era of sci-fi, we also forget that like sci-fi movies were at this time, like a big, you know, they were, they were like a big industry. Mm -hmm. Um, there, there's an, there's an interview with bracket where she rattles off some of her favorite recent, um sci-fi films and she mentions she liked war of the worlds she complains about a, a couple of them i i think she complains about body snatchers and then there's some there, there's some film i had never heard of that seems to be mostly forgot i think it was called like xs10 or something like that which is like that mm -hmm. was the best of that was the best of <laughs> <laughs> i think she says she she liked them too with uh, the ants <laughs> the ants. Well, I mean, it it has like a great pulp sensibility to it, except it's you know instead of it being like a weird you know space magic, it's uh, atomic magic. You know, a race uh, of atomic supermen. Yes, yes, a race <laughs> to play basketball. Um, all right, I think that uh, that sort of covers it, right? I think I, th I think that's it. It's good. We, 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 Still holds up. Yeah read it we we've covered this as 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 completely as the red sea of venus yes uh, covered the the, <laughs> the dead the dead castle underneath uh anyway uh kurt thanks for for giving me an excuse to to sort of read some bracket uh which is you know a blind spot in my repertoire of course carlo and i'm i'm off to use the uh the super science of biological manipulation to make myself into a godlike being with uh big sweaty muscles i'm gonna go flex in a mirror for a while 
All right. Sounds great. <laughs> See your evenings taking <laughs> taking over. All right. Well, anyway, uh, anyway, uh, thanks again, Kurt, and um, everyone out there. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you next time here on Podside. <laughs> <laughs>